Greetings and salutations, Commanders. Welcome to episode 37 of Lave Radio. Lave Radio is the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. I'm your bumbling host, second technician, Fozzer Forrester, and joining us in the orange beacon of broadcasting this episode are the head of station health and safety, Mr. Ben Moss-Woodward. Greetings, Commanders. Head of station entertainment, Mr. Christopher Jarvis. Good evening. Chief Bar Steward, Mr. Grant Wolcott. Good evening. Good evening. And rejoining us after a short self-enforced exile during which he spent some quality time with some sheep, Chief of Operations, Mr. John Stabler. You're a bastard, Fox. <laughs> I can't Re- believe you said that. It's like I go I go away for a bit, come back, and the racism's just creeped back in. <laughs> oh, greetings, chat as well. I mean, we've got a very exciting show as we're going to be talking about Beta 2. It's been reasonably stable now for about a week, and most of us have had a chance to invest a decent amount of time into the universe, so it'll be great to hear what everybody thinks about it. Before we get stuck into that, though, let's find out what you guys have been up to outside the Elite Dangerous universe this week, starting with the Chief Bar Steward himself, Grant. Hello! Well, I have been, again, trying to resolve the whole house issue, which I'm glad to say should be over within a number of two weeks which will be great and we'll be in our nice new home with nice new internet and everything will be wonderful congratulations <laughs> it's been a long road getting here but we're now almost at the end my grandmother is recovering well in hospital so she will be looking at coming home in the next sort of two to three weeks as well Brilliant. so that's going to be new challenges there this week i have been Recording this weekly Drabble competition as well, which is in the Abraca Drabble thread. And this week's theme apparently is Ice, which was set by Darren Gray, who won last week. So give that a listen if you're in the forums. It's quite a, an interesting um, audio file, to say the least. I quite enjoyed it. I only listened to it for the first time last week. Where can people find it if they wanted to download it? I do have a Drabble site, but I've not set it up properly yet. So the easiest way to go is to go into the Elite Dangerous Fan Creations forum, where you'll find the Abraca Drabble thread, and you'll probably find one of the official polls that have been put up for the weekly competition, and you'll find links to the audio files in there. And you'll get a chance to read some of the Drabbles as well, because sometimes they can be very good. I like the way you say it's just sometimes there. <laughs> I'm just discrediting the fact that they're now trying to put in ridiculously crazy words that they know are going to trip me up, and I'm <laughs> beginning to get a little bit annoyed by it. Every week I go there, and I'm reading along quite happily, and then I find this stinker of a word with three T's and a C, and you're thinking, yeah, brilliant, thanks guys. <laughs> but it is very, very good, so I highly recommend people go and check it out. Chris, what have you been up to? I have a feeling I know, but tell us... Yeah, it's no great guess that I'm still working heavily on the audiobooks. Uh, I don't know, really. Um, We had Eden's first birthday party, which was fun, and we did lots of celebrating for that. Other than doing this, I have been mostly playing Fantasy Life on the 3DS, which is Ah, amazing. No, you see, you're the one that's responsible for getting me into Animal Crossing. In fact, you're the one that got me actually buying a 3DS after telling me how good Animal Crossing was in the first place. So I have been avoiding this game like the plague. So tell me why it is that I shouldn't be avoiding this game. Because it's like Animal Crossing, but you get to craft weapons and go out into various areas and kill monsters. So it's kind of like Animal Crossing crossed with like Skyrim. 
it's very good. And I blame you two for making me have to buy <laughs> DSs as well. And my wife's addicted. She still plays Animal Crossing. And we've got Fantasy Life. It's awesome. Yeah, it is, it is just crazily good. I mean, it's just very slick and very fun and very addictive. Well, as I've said before, uh, my wife bought me a uh, PlayStation Vita for, for my birthday, which is very kind of her. Uh, I don't think she would thank me for uh, putting that to one side and getting my 3DS back out and, and playing a new game on that for the foreseeable future. So I think I'm probably going to give it a bit of a miss for the time being, but it's nice to know it's there in the background. Ben, what have you been up to? Outside of elites and work, I've been mainly changing incredibly impressive nappies of my son. And I've also been helping Dave Hughes doing his Elite Encounters RPG and helping him debug that and things. Great stuff. John? Well, as you mentioned, I've been kind of busy lately, a bit too busy into podcasts with real-life work commitments, which have kind of kept me away. But then I actually did find, you know, a couple of hours here and there to just go and play the beta. And, yeah, I've been loving that. That's possibly the only fun thing that I've done. (laughs) You see, that's not true, because neither you nor Grant, or in fact Chris, have mentioned the fact that since we last did an episode, we actually released another episode of the Lave Radio Crew Does Role-Playing Games with Dave Hughes, and the second episode of our Elite Encounters playthrough, which actually sounded more like an episode of Red Dwarf, really. Uh, I don't know which one of us was supposed to be Dwayne Dibley, but it had to be the most pathetic escape from a spaceship I think ever seen. I, just I think lo- it was awesome. <laughs> I, I, I honestly thought we were all going to die for the simple <laughs> fact that uh, apparently I was the best shot. I had the gun and I was shooting people in the shins and in the feet. <laughs> well, you were doing better than me. I seem to spend most of the episode rolling around on the floor. You coward. <laughs> Which is at least is better than Mr. Jarvis, who spent most of the episode curled up on his knees with his hands on his head. He only got up when he found out that we we were winning the scrap. <laughs> I resent that suggestion. <laughs> I'm merely saying it's very sensible when there's three of you unarmed and you can counter three people who are armed, lying down on the ground and putting your hands behind your head is a sound decision. <laughs> yeah, but not when you realise that the rest of your team are actually going and trying to go into some sort of melee combat with them. You're just kneeling there with your hands on your head was not helping us at all. I was trying to take a lead. <laughs> either way if you want to check that out you can go to the Lave radio site and download the rpg episode i think we will probably be doing a few more of them the feedback from the community has been quite favorable about those so i think we should probably do an episode three in the not too distant future so it's like unrehearsed badly edited audio drama <laughs> it's great. i should do them all like this it's much quicker <laughs> Oh, God help us if you did. Right, from my point of view, uh, obviously I went down to the Eurogamer Expo in Earl's Court. There was an interview up on the site that we managed to get Lisa Vu and I with David Braben. That was quite special. It was really kind of David to take us aside and and give Lay Radio an exclusive interview away from the stand and all the hubbub and noise from the actual expo, which is, if you haven't checked it out, it's on the site. And it's a really nice sort of 10, 15 minute interview that we had with David very interesting guy and very nice to meet him in the flesh also quite good whilst i was down there to meet with the new community team ed and mike they've got some interesting stuff planned for the community so it's a question of watch this space and also we'll talk about it a little bit more but i got a chance to play with the oculus rift on the dk2 which i know grant actually owns not that i'm jealous at all and the difference between the dk1 and the dk2 with the latest build is quite staggering so i'll talk a little bit of that later on in the show 
So, without any further ado, what we're going to do, because this week we're going to spend most of our time talking about the latest build of Beta 2, we're going to gloss over the fact that we are now four newsletters behind times, and uh, just pick out a few things from the, the newsletters that the crew think are interesting, and just have a bit of a discussion about them, starting with the peak of the week's. Now, the first one of these was the Imperial Courier cockpit. Now, Chris, as you've spent most of your time reading the fiction, do you think this is in keeping with what we've heard from Frontier? Yeah, I'm just trying to think in terms of the stories that I've read. The inside of the Imperial ships that are mostly seen in the fiction are the big capital ships featuring um, certainly Drew's novel quite heavily. I'm trying to remember if anyone actually has one in any of the stories and how it's described. But I mean, certainly in terms of the style of it, in, you know, in terms of the ergonomic lines and the fact that everything's very kind of, you know, clean and beautiful, that's, that's certainly very imperial. Maybe what it doesn't represent, which I think is what, you know, what some of the fans feel about stuff and what's maybe crept into some of the fiction is the more kind of artistic kind of Regency style that maybe goes into some of the living areas but i don't think that's necessarily true for a cockpit anyway and it's a uh, it's a very nice piece of concept art it really is i mean with the whole sort of neon blue lines going through it it has a sort of i know something tron-esque about it all yeah, yeah absolutely i mean but i mean there is you know we've said before there's bound to be small differences between the fiction and the game because a lot of the stuff that's been written about in the books kind of hasn't appeared till now i did note today there was a tweet from frontier saying great new stuff coming in from the audio department today (laughs) don't create new stuff now you know my stuff's already kind of set in stone don't start making stuff up i mean obviously (laughs) looking forward to it sounding fantastic you uh you've obviously been given a certain amount of access to sound banks in order to build up the audio books and stuff but you've also been granted some funds to actually go and buy some new ships and record the sounds from those as well. So maybe it might be a good point at this stage just to yeah, tell us a little bit about the differences between the ships and some of the, uh, you know, the audioscapes that you're listening to and recording. Yeah, so um, Frontier Care of Michael dropped a billion credits in my player account. So I've been able to basically go through and buy all the ships uh, and try them all out and r- record the kind of engine noises that they make. Interestingly, one of the things... This worth noting, as I discovered very quickly, is you can't just buy all ships anywhere. You have to kind of search around a bit. Yeah. Um, and certainly the Asp Explorer took a little bit of finding, I'd say. <laughs> it took a little bit of finding. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, in terms of the audio books, some have kind of less pronounced engine noise. I haven't really had time to stop and think about why that is in terms of the game. I'm not sure if it's because maybe for the larger ships, you're that much further away from the the engine plant, uh, and therefore the kind of feedback isn't as great. I don't know. But certainly the noise that the Sidewinder makes, there's a very kind of pronounced engine noise when you throttle up compared to something like the Hauler. When you Is it the Hauler? I can't remember if it's the Hauler or the Type 6, one or the other. The sound of the acceleration on it is quite imperceptible, so... Yeah, it's interesting. And it's also interesting having gone through and just kind of upgraded through all the ships very quickly and then taken them all out for a spin, um, just how different the handling is. The Type 9, the Lake on Type 9, is an absolute beast. <laughs> no, no one is doing any ship-to-ship combat in that without turrets. It has absolutely no steering. Yeah, they're called space cows for a reason. Absolutely. It's like a shopping trolley. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, just you know, really interesting. The, the, the weird, stupid thing is, of course, given that this is Elite, because I had the original sound bank from Frontier, and then recently I've gone in and recorded my own sounds for the new craft, B2, the only craft I think I still haven't flown is the Cobra. <laughs> really? Because I had those sound effects from Frontier ages ago, and it's obviously it's not one of the new ships, so I haven't had any need to buy it and fly it. What about some of the new weapons? I mean, we've seen quite a few variations on the weapons come in in Beta 2. Uh, have you had a chance to sort of buy all those and, and, and fire them? I've been trying to figure them out, to be honest. I mean, we're kind of getting into a bit of a Beta 2 discussion here. One of my comments would be, when you're looking at the hard points on the ASP, because of the view, when you're in the, the outfitting mode, the view kind of zooms in on the hard point. Yeah. But it doesn't give you any context of where that hard point is on the ship. So my thinking was, well, it'd be interesting to fit some turrets on the kind of, you know, the back or the top or, or the bottom of the, the asp or whatever. And personally, I'm finding it very hard to understand where those hard points are and what the impact of fitting a particular weapon there is. That's just a point. I haven't really had time to get into kind of outfitting and weapons and things because I had, in terms of the fiction, you know, all the basic weapons are the ones that the writers kind of knew about at the time. Yeah. Um, so the, the, you know, the machine guns and the pulse lasers and the beam lasers and the rail gun, those are kind of the four weapons. Oh, and missiles. Those are the, those are the weapons that come up mostly in the fiction. So I kind of use a lot of those, but... Not a problem. Okay, well, I mean, it's interesting. We're thinking about the next point that we're going to come on to, and that's the other peak of the week that really sort of stood out, and that was the most recent one. And that's the picture of actually sort of closing in on a sun and actually using your fuel scoop. And obviously you can see from the picture, you know, it seems to be quite a daring feat to actually do. The cockpit looks very, very hot. You get lots of nice sort of visual effects on the cockpit, on the actual glass. And I'm just thinking it might be quite interesting to see what sort of sound effects they have for, uh, for fuel scooping. Ben, what do you think of this? I think it looks blooming scary. It looks like the ship's melting and falling apart as we're trying to scatter scoops. And this is it. And if you look at the actual image, it's not as if it's doing that when you are at sort of 90% capacity. It's about 40% full on your fuel scoop. So it really does look like it might be quite a, a sphincter twitching thing to try. Yeah, although I thought there was talk about when you're scooping fuel that you'd get different quantities of zones of fuel depending on where you are. And I can't see even a hint of how we discover that. Yeah, absolutely. But again, that's probably something they're going to do with a different grade of fuel scoop, maybe, or the different types maybe. of sun. Or, you know, maybe even later down the line, a certain amount of skill that you've got using the equipment. But there was nothing nothing obvious about that. Again, yeah. an interesting thing will be what the sound is like, because in terms of the realistic simulation, obviously, you wouldn't get the kind of noise of burning as you get mm-hmm. close to a sun. But we've already established previously that the game cockpit works by kind of producing sound as feedback so that the pilot knows what's going on um so it'd be interesting for me to know whether as you get close to this kind of burning object for fuel scooping whether there is kind of additional noise that the burning surface of the, and, and all the sort of gases and things coming off it i mean wouldn't it be uh, i don't know at least in keeping with the realism aspect to have it sort of like a i don't know like a submarine so as the hull sort of heats up and expands maybe you'd hear sort of like metal bending or some creaking or, or basically the sort of noises that you don't want to either hear in a submarine or in a ship and out in deep space yeah possibly something i've noticed in that in that picture which is quite interesting is the internal cabin temperature is what 36 <laughs> percent but if you look at how fast the pilot is flying, he's at full throttle. 
<laughs> pointing towards the sun. Now, that's brave. That is very brave. And I love the kind of condensation as if, you know, it's just as if your body's starting to give off steam inside. <laughs> you got sort of like little water droplet effects on the outside. I mean, that looks like it's going to be horrifically stunning. Yeah, You're right. saying it's at 36%, but look how broken all of your UI elements are because of presumably the damage that your ship's taking. Well, I use the Oculus. It looks like that all the time to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come on to the Oculus when we actually get into the full beta 2 discussion because I, I really would be quite interested to hear how a fully tweaked Oculus looks with the new build. So, okay, well... Let's have a look at what else we've got coming on the newsletters. Obviously, we've got uh, the big thing, which is obviously the 30th anniversary that's been. Frontier did a 10-day extravaganza celebrating the 30-year anniversary of the original Elite. During that time, obviously, they gave out a free BBC version of Elite, uh, complete with emulator to play it on. There was a rather controversial £10 Cobra wireframe skin to go for new Cobras within Elite Dangerous. There was a 30-year anniversary celebration T-shirt. There was a build-up on the Iran in war and uh, a few other things besides. So let's start with the BBC version of Elite. Did any of you guys jump on, download it, and give it a go? I installed it and opened the application, and then I think I launched and then died while docking. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty much part of the course for the original game. Anybody else? I was the same. I've downloaded it, installed it, gave it a run, and went out... Flew around a bit and then crashed in the redock, which was, <laughs> again, just takes me back to the Retrolave episode that we did. So, But it's prettier. It is prettier, prettier. than the, the yeah. Spectrum version. I honestly did the same thing as you guys. I downloaded I expected to play it for sort of 10, 15 minutes, crash into the station, and, and that would be that. But actually, I managed to dock, as it always used to. I managed to dock. I managed to make a small profit on my first trading run. And I thought, oh, okay, uh, I'll go back again. I ended up spending about an hour and a half to two hours playing the original game and absolutely having a wonderful time. So it just shows that even though it doesn't have the fancy graphics and all of that, it still has the, you know, the catch, the hook that gets you into the rinse and repeat and the joy of the original Elite game. So, no, I really enjoyed it. I ended up kitting out the Cobra with some missiles and, and taking on some pirates and having a great time. So, no, I really enjoyed it for the two hours or so that I played it. Um, what about the rather controversial Cobra wireframe skin? Own up all those people that actually paid £10 and bought one. Me. Grant, you bought one. <laughs> I'm such an elite gullible have to buy anything that they release that's interesting. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> okay, so we have a bit of buyer's regret there, a bit of shame. Uh, ben, did you buy it? I I, I have no shame. I'm currently rocking that skin just now on my Cobra. Okay, Jarvis? I, I think th there was a part of me that meant to, and then I just haven't had time. <laughs> okay, so you've missed out. John, <laughs> I take it you weren't even tempted? No. It was the usual thing that, I mean, I liked it. I thought it was cool. but And I thought, maybe I might pay £10 for something that's really cool. But knowing that everybody went and bought one, it just made it, you know, I didn't want it anymore because it wasn't exclusive enough for, yeah. to warrant £10. So I was like, no, nah, forget it. 
I'm as much of a sucker as Ben and Grant. I, of course, went out and bought it. And I was pulled in by the fact that this is a limited edition anniversary special. So only those people that bought it during the 10-day anniversary thing were actually going to get it in-game. And you can obviously use it when the game goes live. And if you think about how many people are going to be joining this game when it does go live... I think the exclusivity of it is going to be something that's worth £10 in the years to come, as long as they don't do it and we're re-releasing the anniversary skin you know, six months down the line or bringing it out as the game comes out or anything like that. As long as it really was a genuine one-off, then I've got no problems paying the £10 for it. If they'd done the wireframe skin for the Sidewinder, maybe, or they'd done one for the Viper, I might have been more interested because I've kind of stopped flying the Cobra. So, Sorry. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. Did, did anybody buy the T-shirt? Yes. <laughs> Why did I know? Uh, <laughs> Grant, you bought it, and is it is it nice? Do you like it? You know, I've not worn it, but then again, I would. You know, I've got, I've got quite a few different elite T-shirts that I've picked up, and really, they'll just go on coat hanger and sit in a wardrobe to be brought out at some point to remind myself of where my money went <laughs> you know, I just thought you know you want to be part of it you want to have something to sort of commemorate it and the t-shirt is not something it's not a design that I would particularly wear other than maybe for LaveCon or some kind of elite event but uh, I had to have one Ben did you have to have one no I didn't <laughs> uh, I was quite happy to spend my money on virtual pixels but not for a T-shirt that I didn't like. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, don't say anything too bad about it because my wife, again, very kindly bought me one for my birthday. So I, too, own an anniversary Elite T-shirt, which I quite like it. Again, it's probably only going to come out at, uh, at LaveCon and the like, but still, it's quite a cool thing to have. Now, talking about cool things to have, what about a war? What about the Iranian war? Who followed this as it went on for 10 days? Grant? I have to say that I... I have to confess that I didn't read <laughs> any of the newsletters from the Galnet. I just kind of got them in my emails and went, okay. I had no interest in getting involved, but I was kind of knee-deep in various different editing of various different audio for multiple different things, and therefore I just didn't have any time to, to get into it. So I would have loved to. I just found that, when you're playing the game, there was nothing directing you in that direction, so there was nothing really relating your in-game play to the Galnet out-of-game newsletters, so I just found myself not, not particularly interested in it. Okay, well, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, the Galnet stuff hasn't actually appeared until Beta 2, so maybe if the Galnet had been incorporated before the 30th anniversary, it might have been a little bit more obvious about where you were supposed to go and what you are supposed to do, but... Uh, it's an interesting angle because this gives us a little bit of a window as to you know, what Frontier might decide to do in terms of telling a narrative or telling like a, a live event within the universe. So, Ben, Chris, did you guys follow along with this? Did you uh, follow the story or, or get involved in any of the fracas? I, I, I didn't because obviously I haven't had time to kind of get in and see how the newsletters that were coming out were affecting in-game action. But I was interested to see it from the point of view of Frontier directing events within the ongoing game and presumably using this obviously partly as part of the 30th anniversary celebrations but also as a test bed for dynamically altering events within the game universe. And I think, you know, I know we have said in the past that the Galnet stuff you know, hasn't necessarily been hugely engrossing with, with some of the stuff around 
stock market items. But I think actually moving the game stuff out of the newsletter and into a separate feed and actually having it being about major events that are going on around the universe, those newsletters made me want to log into the game and see what was going on with these events. And it interested me to see that things were kind of, the balance was changing on a day-to-day basis. So I think in terms of generating excitement and encouraging people to go in and get involved in a kind of emerging universal story, you know, I think that they're trying out some stuff and I think it's really interesting. Ben? I completely agree with what Jarvis just said there. I loved the storyline. I loved following along and waiting for my daily email to come through describing what they were doing. But I didn't find that, for me, that translated into my actions in-game. I occasionally went off to Aranen or Dan and tried doing things, but nothing was really going on there. So I actually wound up spending most of that time policing the policemen, I suppose you could say, out in Freeport, because I was just getting hacked off with them essentially running a protection racket there. A protection racket. Do you want to go explain that a bit more? Well, there were some members of the community who were scanning people and anyone that they decided that wouldn't pay them their protection money, they'd try taking them out. And I was like, no, I don't like that behavior, so I'm going to stand up and I'm going to try and protect these guys going in and out of Freeport. And how successful were you on that? moderately successful when I found somebody. It was more a case of actually finding someone who's needing an escort or finding somebody who's doing that activity. Because of all the different islands, the actual odds of getting matched up with the guys was quite slim. Okay, and well, for the rest of the newsletters, a lot of them obviously focused around information that was coming out about Beta 2, which we're going to cover in the next topic. But the last newsletter that came out, Newsletter 43, did have some interesting information, considering we're talking about Beta 2, on uh, the release of Beta 3, what comes next. So Beta 3 has been announced, so it's going to be on October the 28th. Chances are it's going to include, for those people that are playing the Beta, uh, a full wipe, a full reset again. What do you guys think about the timing of this, and how do you feel about the fact that all your hard work is going to be flushed down the toilet again? John? I'm outraged. Excellent. Uh, no, I'm not. No, uh, it, it honestly doesn't bother me. Um, I didn't mind the wipe for Beta 2. There's a lot of people that weren't expecting it, but I was like, how many times do they need to say that they reserve the right to wipe at any stage? They had to wipe for the right reasons, because the way of making money has changed, and no doubt it'll change again in Beta 3, so I think it's fair enough they are going to wipe. Well, I was just going to say that I was doing quite a a lot of grinding through this Beta build, and getting quite far, and then I was trying some trading, I was doing some exploration, and then when I heard that they were going to wipe it at the end of the month, I thought, there's really little point in me continuing to do all this exploration only to have to go through again. I've done the mechanics, I've seen the mechanics, I understand them. I'm not going to spend this time really making it turn stale for me. If they're going to wipe at the end of the month, I'm just going to have to do it all again. I wouldn't want to create that situation where I just get sick of a particular mechanic. Now I can then see what they've adjusted and try it a different way and see if it's any different and enjoy it still. Because I think one of the things that I remember you guys talking about way, 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 way back in one of the early live podcasts was when you were talking about whether or not early access can actually damage your 
experience of the game, whether you can actually find yourself getting stale or, or, you know, beginning to dislike parts of it. And these wipes certainly seem to be causing issues for some of the forum members who feel that their progress is then being lost when they're not quite grasping. Well, they are, they understand it's beta, but they're kind of hoping that they can make progress and they were hoping to make progress to Gamma. So in my opinion, this wipe is a little bit close to the release of the previous version. My decision was then what I was going to do is go and fly a ship I've not flown in any of the previous builds, which is a Viper, and go and do combat for the rest of this month rather than invest time in trading and doing trade runs and all those kind of things. So I went from my Sidewinder into a hauler, did a lot of bits and pieces, lots of missions, lots of trade routes, and then when that was announced, I thought, right, jump into a Viper and go back and do the stuff that I find to be fun, which is killing NPCs. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point, actually, and I think a lot of people have found that, that obviously if it's all going to be wiped off, then uh, the whole you know, trading grind that's what we've been doing up till now doesn't really hold that much appeal anymore. So it gives you a chance to sort of go and explore the other things that, that you can do in the universe. So things like explore, things like combat missions, things like little courier missions or transfer missions, all those sort of things just become a little bit more appealing than they were in the previous builds where it was all about sort of trading and making money. Ben? I do think that despite the 11th hour introduction of the wipe for all our progress and things like that, I thought it was very clever of Frontier to pose it as a question saying, we're thinking about this, what do you guys think? I thought that was very smart of them. And we've seen similar actions coming out of them since Beta 2's come out as well. You know, we're thinking about this, what do you guys think? But they're still going to do it regardless of what the community say. Of course they are, but it's smarter asking the community and (laughs) seeing the community. It might sound jaded saying that, but it's always better to ask somebody something than to say, well, we're going to do it in tough. But they are going to do it in tough. It's like my wife when she says, um, do you think we should go to Ikea and have a look at furniture on Saturday? It's it's not a question. It's more of an order. (laughs) But it goes back to something we were saying in a podcast a long time ago, that when you, you know, this is for, this is from my experience in working in IT previously, that if you give end users a test version of a system, they fill it full of real data. And the analogy is here, you know, the p- people have been given a version of a game to play on, which is completely unfinished. And suddenly when you have to turn around to them and say, we're having to eradicate all the stuff you put into it, people are going, no, I've put my stuff in it. And it's kind of like, but we told you it was a test system. Don't put stuff in it that you're attached to because we're going to get rid of it. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, people still are. But never mind, we've got the date. We know it's going to happen. It's going to happen regardless of what we think about it. So it's just a question of looking forward to it now. As we have the date for Beta 3, now might be a good idea to jump to a little advert we've got about a competition that we're running on Lave Radio. Is your life like this? Take that, evil pirate scum! Pew, 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 pew! Second technician Forrester to the gantry. The vending machine is broken. I repeat, the vending machine is broken. It could be like this. Drive charging.
interrogated horrors. With new planets and systems opening up, we find our interstellar brochure is very out of date. Please send us pictures of places you have visited, and we will feature them in our brochure for all the tourists all over the galaxy. So, explorers, get exploring, and the best pictures you send will achieve a prize. A very special prize. Don't delay. Offer not available to second technician. What is this So the Astrogator Tour Competition, basically the new build is a very, very pretty place to be. So we would like you to go out into the verse and take some photos to go into the new Astrogator Tour brochure. The pictures should have a small amount of blurb, no more than drabble length, which is 100 words. The blurb should advertise the location and does not need to be accurate or indeed to elite canon. The Astrogator Tour Company has never been known for letting facts get in the way of a good marketing story. Prizes have been donated by Frontier, and we will announce the winners before the release of Beta 3. And with your submissions, if you want to send them through to info at laveradio.com, there's also going to be a page on our Facebook page, which is forward slash laveradio. And if you want to send them to Twitter with a link, you can at laveradio. You've only got two weeks until Beta 3, so you better get out there and get snapping. The main topic of this episode, we're going to talk about Beta 2. It's been out for about a week. It's reasonably stable. We've invested quite a bit of time in getting to grips with it. So without any further ado, let's go to, well, seeing as he's back from a little bit of a a forced vacation, Mr. Stabler, what have you found out about Beta 2? What's been floating your boat? Um, Definitely outfitting and combat. In all of the previous alphas, I was basically just waiting for trading to come along. And then trading did come along, and it was good fun, and we all made a lot of money out of it. But when Beta 2 came out, I thought, I really, really hope that they make it so that you don't have to trade to make money. And that's exactly what they did, because now that you can't really make much money at trading at all. It's all done through missions and through bounty hunting, which I've enjoyed immensely. It's been absolutely fantastic. I've been flying to various resource extraction sites, nav beacons... Before, I was avoiding unidentified signal sources like the plague because I just thought it's just another opportunity for me to end up dead. But because, <laughs> I've, because I've been up for it and I've been kitting out my ship f- for combat, I've been, if I've seen one, I've gone, I've jumped in, and I've actually experienced a lot more of the game that I probably didn't see before. You know, A lot of different scenarios played out which I just hadn't seen. So that's been excellent. I also tried out piracy because they've now included this cargo hatch disruptor device, which you can fire at um, a target and it will basically hack into their cargo door and all of a sudden it'll spill canisters into space for you to scoop up. There was a lot I liked about it. I liked the actual device itself and using it. It was kind of fun. But at the moment, they need to make it a bit more profitable to make it worthwhile. Uh, but apart from that, yeah, I've had a lot of fun, and it's it's involved blowing up a lot of NPCs. <laughs> okay, well, just to pick up on a couple of points you mentioned there, the first one being that trading seems to have been nerfed. Can you explain a little bit about that for those people that aren't following along with the beta? 
Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it seems that a lot of these commodity markets are kind of empty. They're like, you know, Russian supermarkets back in the uh, 80s. <laughs> it's, um, you'll go somewhere, it says, like you go to Dahan or LP, you know, somewhere where they're extracting or they're refining, and you see that they've got like their major export, but they've only got one or two of them. You know, I'm like going, well, if you've got a type nine, you're not going to be able to fill up your cargo bay with that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think everyone was used to be going somewhere. And, you know, if they wanted to take fish on to the next system, then they would just load up all with fish. But now there's no fish. <laughs> there's no fish. There's Is no that fish. the takeaway of uh, trading in beta two? There, there's no fish. Yeah. Bertrandite was the big one for me. I was always taking Bertrandite between LP and uh, Dahan. But that's, it's just dried up. I don't know what's happened. Okay, Maybe it's well, that other... blockade. <laughs> so obviously the other thing that you mentioned there was the, the cargo bay popper. Tell us a little bit about how that actually functions, how it works. Well, I mean, I guess I had to try and, you know, find out by a bit of trial and error and maybe a bit of research on the forums because as it's a beta game, there's not really an instruction manual at the moment. So like, for instance, I went and I bought the controller for it to control these drones, which then go and attack the cargo hatch. But for some reason, I couldn't buy any of these drones. And it was only when I, I went and read the forums that somebody said, well, the drones go in your cargo bay, so you need a cargo rack. Because I got rid of all mine for weapons and things like that. So I was in the Eagle back then. So then I, when I went to the Viper, I knew that I would buy one cargo rack so I could put these things in. So anyway, the way I use it, and I seem to get more success, is I will ma- basically match the speed of the target. And then I will try and get into a position so that my cargo bay is as close to their cargo bay as possible. Because when you fire off one of these drones, you know, they have to travel the distance and they don't move as fast as a ship. So, you know, I'm trying to reduce that gap. So basically I try and fly belly to belly with with ships. You just assign it to, you know, like one of your fire buttons in in a fire group, hit the button, and then you'll hear something, you know, kind of getting shot out into space. And you might hear this clunk, which you know it's hit their hull. And then you'll get either them spilling out cargo everywhere followed by a message saying that the siphon's finished or you'll get a message just telling you that the siphon's failed and i had between 65 75 percent success rate with that when i was belly to belly because before i did that i was trying to fire it at a distance and it just never worked okay well I mean, do you get those uh, drones back or are they basically as soon as you fired them there that's it spent like ammunition yeah they're consumable once they've gone they're gone Hmm. They're only six credits, so I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> okay. How many can you carry in a cargo rack? It's one drone is one ton. Crikey. Okay. Ben, what have you been up to in Beta 2? What's been keeping you busy? I guess to begin with, I was mainly being a gun for hire. So in my free Sidewinder, I was picking up any and every mission that said, go and kill a bunch of civilians, which I feel very, very guilty about because they've got wife and kids back home as I'm sort of shooting them down in my little baby free sidewinder, but that's tough because I was getting about fifteen to 20,000 credits for doing it. That was good money, I thought, for not really a very hard job. And was that still in your basic sidewinder? That was still in my basic sidewinder, yes. Um, so you didn't feel the need to upgrade your sidewinder? Not while I was doing most of that. I did eventually go and get a couple of gimbaled weapons just to make it go a little bit quicker, but that was literally all I did to my sidewinder. Since then, I did that to basically get myself up to a Cobra. 
and I've been upgrading my Cobra, so I've now got dual pulse lasers, which are overcharged pulse lasers or something like that, I think I've got. And I've got two gimbals, multi-cannons, which, again, are some kind of specialized multi-cannons rather than the bog-standard ones. Cool. Um, cool. I've also gone off and upgraded my jump engines, my power plant, my shields my power distribution center. Upgrading your power distribution is incredibly important because it basically means everything can recharge so much faster. And it was relatively cheap compared to some of the other things. Okay, well, I mean, you've listed quite a lot of things there in terms of what you've upgraded, but what did the actual upgrades give you? So the power distribution gives you faster recharge, right? What about the others? Power distribution, as you say, faster recharge, and you can basically pew-pew for a little bit longer. Right, okay. Upgraded engines... The upgraded thrusters get basically mean you've got a better turning circle. The upgraded frameshift drive means you've got the frameshift drive, instead of being optimized for 250 tonne, it's maybe optimized for a 350-tonne ship, which basically means that you can jump further. There's different classes of weapons, so basically more pew-pew for maybe a little bit more power and a little bit less weight. There's other things which will just change the weight, but it's the same thing. Upgrading your scanners means you get a longer range. Upgrading your system scanners could actually mean you can scan an entire system, which is ridiculously overpowered at the moment. So you go off and you can scan all the binary or trinary stars just as soon as you show up. Okay, well, outfitting is not something that I've actually messed about with much, but I know that, John, it was something that quite floated your boat. For me, it was starting to look a little bit complicated. Would you say it was complicated or would you say it was quite easy to fathom your way through? I'd say, actually, that it is more complicated, you know, by definition, but I don't think it's overly complicated. I think it now gives us a level of complexity in customising our ships, which makes ships more useful. I think everybody was getting bored of the Sidewinder. Everyone just looked at it as, you know, that default ship that you get in and you need to get out of it as soon as possible in the previous builds. But now... Now you're able to trick out a Sidewinder and actually focus it in certain areas. It actually takes on a whole new lease of life. And there's a load, loads of people are still flying around in Sidewinders, even though they've got the cash to upgrade to bigger ships, such as the Viper or more maneuverable ships, such as the Eagle. Instead, they've invested all their cash in upgrading the systems and made the Sidewinder a real powerhouse. And that's gone hand in hand with the bounty hunting. I mean, with that in mind, one of the things we haven't covered that was in the newsletter uh, is about the mercenary edition of Elite Dangerous, which is effectively like a sort of game pre-order. Now, it's very common these days to offer pre-orders for games where you get bonus in-game items. And one of the things they're offering as part of this mercenary edition is a, an eagle fighter at a secondary location. So, you know, anyone who buys this edition of the game will have an Eagle Fighter as well as a Sidewinder. And they've also said that that'll be extended to people who backed it to a certain level in the Kickstarter anyway. So what do we think about that in terms of, you know, maybe people being a bit tired of the Sidewinder, that kind of everyone's going to be getting a free Eagle anyway, effectively? I think as a player, I'd be quite happy with that decision that, you know, knowing what I know about outfitting now, you know, I could have my Sidewinder and I can kit that out one way. And then I can have my eagle and kit that out another. So it kind of gives me almost like two characters in a way, if you know what I mean, that you can jump between two different roles. So I'm quite happy in the context of this new outfitting system. I think it's, it's a good offer. 
I mean, just talking about the different roles and stuff, maybe that quite nicely leads us on to the aspect of reputation. We're told in Beta 2 that reputation is now there, it's in place, but I haven't actually seen much of it. Have you guys come across much of the reputation? Has it had much of an impact? No, I've seen reputation on NPCs, and I think in a, in a kind of rough way it impacts their skill. I still don't think that the ones that are deadly or dangerous or whatever are quite that bad. And they don't always live up to your expectations. But with players, I think they did say announce on the forums that a couple of people have now moved off of Harmless. Apparently it required 300 kills. That's not a small number by any stretch of the imagination. Has anyone here done 300 kills yet? I've done 700. I want to beat up the game and see what my rating is now. I'd heard that it it wasn't functioning correctly. But if John's confirmed that it's 300, it's probably just because people are impatient. No, no, well, this is what I heard on the forums. But where, how, what the truth of that is, I don't know. I'm just, you know, trying to bring the community into it. You see, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I've got 50 kills. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's reputation in terms of your actual combat rating. I'm talking about reputation in terms of what missions you can pick up and you know, whether or not if you cancel out a mission, it oh, goes sorry. that sort of stuff. I mean, have we seen any of that come into the game yet? Somebody said that they had completed quite a few missions for one particular place, and then they'd started getting offered extra stuff. Well, that's how but it I, should work, but I haven't come across that. Have you done a lot of missions for one group in particular? I must admit, I have transported a lot of bio-waste. <laughs> You've shoveled a lot of shit, is what you're saying. <laughs> Something like that. I've done a fair few missions for certain factions, but... I can't say I've noticed a change, although it is always hinted at in the missions. Yeah, I think this might be something that maybe gets fleshed out in Beta 3. As we're just jumping around here, maybe it's not a bad idea to talk about the stuff that maybe isn't quite there or isn't quite as polished or things that have fallen down slightly. What bugs have people come across in this particular build? I'm not sure if it's a bug, but there's this weird thing now where if you're on the surface of a platform, if you've just landed and you take off, it takes you down into the station, turns you round. So you, so you can only take off forwards. I don't know if that's a feature or a bug. I think it's a feature. Yeah, absolutely. It was the same in the space stations as well. They always spin you round and take you down. That sounds oh, okay. rude. <laughs> Maybe I never landed without going into the hangar then. Because I just found it weird that I asked to launch and it's like, oh, I've asked to launch and I'm being taken into the docking bay. Well, actually, no. I mean, if you're still on the platform... It should just lower down the exit ramp and let you go. Yeah, it doesn't for me. For me, it actually takes you down on the lift, turns the <laughs> ship around and takes you back up. <laughs> I would document that one, mate. That definitely sounds like a bug to me. There's certainly a couple of missions that I've seen where the text is missing, but it still lets you take the mission. And I basically racked up, I think it was 35 courier missions where I had to take a piece of paper or something that took no cargo space up to the next star system over and that netted me about 50,000 which I'm pretty sure is a bug and reported it as such John? One of the interesting bugs I found was I traded up to a Viper played with it for a, for a day or so and thought I want to go back to that Eagle because I really miss the manoeuvrability but unfortunately I couldn't, I went to go and buy an Eagle uh, and uh, even though it was like a negative value um, and I was getting a server request denied error basically a lot of people seem to be experiencing this, according to the forums, and apparently there's a, an error in how um, it calculates how much cash you actually have, you know, and can you afford the ship. 
some people think they've got a solution to it. To be honest, I'm just going to stick with the Viper now until the end of the month, so it, I'm not too bothered by it. But I could imagine if somebody bought a hauler just to do some um, trading <laughs> and they wanted to jump back into a lower ship or something, and they couldn't do it. Imagine have been stuck in a hauler forever. <laughs> the infinite white band man. The other thing that's obviously been mentioned and, in fact, should have been fixed uh, this evening when uh, Beta 2.05 came out was the loading times. Now, certainly uh, I've experienced quite a lot of uh, orange sidewinders and orange cobras spinning around whilst trying to get into the open game. That'll be quite nice to get that fixed and also coming out of uh, frame shift and stuff like that. So, uh, again, well done to Frontier for getting yet another patch update out so quickly for, uh, for Beta 2. What what I've noticed is actually worse. I can't speak so much for previous versions uh, because I haven't had as much time to play them. But certainly in beta 2.05, I've found that I'm getting spinning loading icons in station services. So when trying to buy a ship or buy a weapon or access the um, stock market, I'm finding that sometimes sticks for quite a while. Yeah, I think that was in relation to what John was saying about buying ships and stuff. There definitely seems to be something server-side which slows things down more than it has done in the past. Ben? I'm seeing exactly that same issue with stellar cartography. But I've also been getting really random hiccups, I guess you could say, when I'm taking off. I normally hover around about the 35, 40 frames a second. But it seems if I'm in a station and I've got somewhere selected in my navigation stuff, then I'll maybe get my normal frame rate, then drop down to a couple of frames, then back up again and down again, which is, that's very frustrating. And I've also run into a bug where I basically can't scan any suns or planets or anything like that to get the names of them. They just come up saying unknown. Yeah, absolutely. Exploration. Let's talk a little bit about exploration, because exploration is a little bit bugged, but I mean, it's obviously a brand new feature element to Elite Dangerous that we haven't seen in the past. Obviously, with exploration now, you can actually go out. If you want to know all the stellar bodies that are in a system, you can have two options. You can either scan them all down with your discovery scanner, or you can actually buy the mapping data from, uh, is it universal uh, cartography, stellar cartography? can't remember. Anyway, there's a company within the space stations that you can actually go to and buy all the latest information on the star systems that are around you. Uh, Or as I say, you can go and scan it down yourself. Now, I've got one scanner on there. I've got a planetary surface scanner, which allows you to actually get a little bit more information on the planets and uh, stellar bodies when you scan them down. But unfortunately, for that to work, you need a discovery scanner, which I have yet to find anywhere at all in the universe, even though I spent about two hours last night just bouncing from place to place trying to find one. It's a default ship function, isn't it? It is, unless you actually uh, lose your ship at any point, in which case you don't get it back on your basic sidewinder. Ah, interesting. The thing I found was that's weird about this whole discovering objects is I flew into a system to complete a courier mission and it said, you you know, I flew near the planet that the space station was orbiting around and they said, you've discovered a new object. And I thought, well, surely the people on the space station have discovered this object. Unless it's just you've discovered a new object compared to, you know, your own system information as opposed to a new object that nobody in the system knew was there. Well, this goes back to my point about how the exploration works in multiplayer, because actually this almost reassures me. If everybody can discover things for the first time, then it means that the explorer role isn't effectively ruined by multiplayer. Grant? 
Yeah, I was just going to say that I think the reason the exploration doesn't make any sense at the current minute is because of the bubble that we're in. And obviously, when we have a much bigger bubble, they'll be able to move this unknown data out to unknown areas where it will make sense, because at the current minute, we're really just testing the mechanics. Mm. And I I find the exploring mechanic to be very interesting. I love it, actually. I think it's really good. But it's very um, long and drawn out when you're, you know, you're going to the likes of um, Iran and then you're, you're scanning and it brings up all these unknown bodies and then you've got to fly out towards that body until it resolves the name. And the more effort you put in, the more money you can claim back. And obviously the more explored that system is, the less it's going to be worth. But I find it to be a fantastic supplemental income when you're doing missions and trade runs, you arrive in the U system, you scan all the bodies, you go to the station, you dock, and you can end up with another 20,000 credits for, for, for basically just spending some time. And that's a, a lovely mechanic. It works really well, makes sense. But obviously the whole point is you're thinking, well, when I arrive in this system, I can see where the stations are. So it doesn't really make any sense why... I don't know what that planet's called when it's quite <laughs> obvious. I do know what that planet's called, but you have to you have to take into account that they need to test it somehow, and they can't make it make sense when we're in a wee bubble of known universe. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. We've talked about exploration. Let's talk about some of the other aspects that are in there. So we've got 500 systems within the uh, the bubble that you're talking about. We've also got a few new features that we haven't seen before, things like asteroids. Anybody got a chance to fly into an asteroids field? No, I'm going to have to stop you. You can't call them asteroids. You just can't call them asteroids. <laughs> Why not? It's got a knock-on effect. Now, now, right, and bearing in mind what you mean by asteroids, let's go back to asteroids. Oh, dear. Okay, fine. Uh, if you're going to be picky like that, fine. Let's just talk about the what? roids then, shall we? What do people think <laughs> about the new roids? Oh dear, I saw a video um, by, I can't remember who it was now, what's his name, Aaron Stone, and he did a video where he caught a nice asteroid field in a wonderful angle with the sun shining through it, and the reflective surfaces of the ice asteroids created this beautiful orange glow that kind of enveloped the whole ice toroid field I'm just going to have to go for it <laughs> stuff it I'm now going to be picturing lots of floating bums but this ice toroid field was stunning I mean just just beyond any kind of imagery that you would ever get in any game ever in the history of all games have you ever seen something so gorgeous that it takes your breath away and makes you gasp for a couple of seconds and then you have to remind yourself this is a game you better get control of your ship before you ram into one of the buggers <laughs> they are beautiful I don't, you really just can't believe how much improvement they can get into these graphics and, and actually make you take a breath at this, there's just a sheer immensity of these asteroid fields and, and the way that the light is bounced off them and ah. Oh, Unbelievable. Okay, well, focusing on that then, obviously there have been sort of graphical improvements to the engine and everything else. So there's there's two new things that we can talk about regarding this. Obviously, there's a, the jump to 4K, 
which I saw at the Games Expo, and just talking about the level of detail that they're putting into the game, when you see it at such a high resolution, running at 60 frames per second, and okay, so it's not something that we're all going to see on our home PCs probably for another few years, for the level of immersion, the level of realism it adds, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And the other one which I think we can probably talk about now is the, the DK2 which, again, I had a chance to play at the Games Expo. Obviously, it was just the one on the stand, so it wasn't you know, set up for the fact that I'm completely blind if I've got contact lenses on. So it was a little bit blurry, but even given that, the ability to sort of stand up in the cockpit, you know, the fact that it actually tracks your head now, and obviously the, the main one about resolution being higher, just makes for such an immersive experience. Now, Grant, obviously you own, was it one or two DK2s in your house, properly set up on Elite Dangerous. What's it like? Well, I have I have one in the house, and the other one is a bit of a loner unit that is currently doing a tour <laughs> so that other people can get the, the chance to sort of, well, for one, find out how awkward it can be to set up you know, initially. And certainly for the previous builds in Elite, it was an awkward pain in the neck to get. And the results were not brilliant. They were kind of average. You would kind of see, you know, that the graphics were a bit fuzzy. It was a little bit difficult to make out menus. And then, of course, they released this beautiful build. And I have to say, from the minute that I fired it up and it brought me up in the the little hangar with the smoke you practically feel that you've got to hold your breath for fear of inhaling that horrible smoke coming out of the vents. You know, you you start to look around and it's so utterly convincing that you're in this ship. It's so crisp. Uh, I know some people still find it quite um, blurry, but you really do have to tweak your settings up to as high as you can and make sure you get a resolution set. And there's loads of little tricks that you can find in the forums to help you set up. Once you've got it going, and it's, it's it's breathtaking, it really is. And that was, you know, that was before it even launched. And then you hit the launch button, and it raises you up, and you find you're on this outpost. And then you see the planet, and you see the planet at the back of a, a little tower sticking up in front of you, jutting out, and it's this. You can see mountain ranges on the planet's surface, and a ship flies into view, and you're just utterly, you're there. It's just there's nothing about it. I was on uh, TeamSpeak at this on, at the time and literally was speechless. And and that's actually true. And and that's not common for me to be speechless. Uh, I didn't even press any sound effects. I was totally absorbed in what I was seeing, and you couldn't even take off because you had to look everywhere. You had to twist that ship and look at everything. The solar panels on that outpost were sparkling with reflections from the light from the planet. You're just ah. Oh, you took everything in and it was stunning and then you get down to the kind of business and it's only when you stumble across something new so the next thing is you hyperspace and suddenly you're in front of a star and you're blown away again and then you head out <laughs> towards asteroid fields and you're you're just staring at them flo- you know floating over you and you're just dwarfed by the scale and then then eventually i get into a holler and I'm sitting in this hauler and it's like a, a, a Volkswagen van, you know. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, all this needs is a couple of, you know, Greg's wrappers floating around <laughs> near those vents and it would be perfect. It blows you away. And previous Oculus builds and things, I've had the DK1 and I've not used it. I really haven't. I've used it to show people and to show them the potential of the unit and how impressive it could be. 
and then the next sort of builds of premium beta and beta you're kind of going you know it's nice you can look at it you could play it for a while but it kind of makes your eyes tired but see this this new build i've not taken the oculus off i won't play it without it it is just gush worthy (laughs) i just can't imagine any other game in the world pulling me in like this thing does you just pop on and suddenly your ship is around you your your hand movements that are animated in the cockpit just really mess with your your psychology because <laughs> you are you're kind of thinking where's that joystick and it's two inches further to the right and you cannot find it because you're totally focusing on this animated hand <laughs> yeah the animated it's- hand did put me off when i was laying at the expo because you're thinking you're looking at your hand and thinking i didn't do that that's a bit weird. <laughs> I didn't just flex my knuckles at all. Was that the new beta build that you saw down there? Yeah, they were running the new beta build. But I'm sure they won't mind me telling you this, but uh, talking to the guys on the stand, they only got that beta build. Obviously, it went live on the Thursday, and they only got the beta build. They were finished. The developers sent it down uh, at 10 o'clock on the, on the Wednesday night before the Thursday morning start. So the devs were actually doing the beta build that we saw at the expo, uh, they were still working on it until 2 o'clock that morning. So they, they really had, I mean, we we expected the, the devs to be leaving things down to the wire. But when you've got an expo that's got thousands and thousands of people there, to wait until 10 o'clock to send the actual build down to the stand might have been a little bit sphincter twitching for, uh, it was sphincter <laughs> twitching to the guys on the stand, to say the least. It was the revised version of the beta build that they've sent out. So it, absolutely gorgeous to look at. It's crisper than any of the previous builds with Oculus. I mean, it's just so crisp. I think if people are finding it kind of blurry, there may be an issue where the Oculus unit isn't sitting on their their face yeah. properly because I find that even now uh, you've got to have the lenses nice and clean, but if you're looking straight through the centre of those lenses, it's perfect. So you kind of have to find the way of adjusting it in such a way that you don't move your eyes because if you look to the left or the right, it distorts and you get a breakdown. Now, my brother has had my second DK2. He is now a complete convert. He He's the sod that never let me play Elite when it was originally out back in <laughs> the day on the Spectrum. So I decided that I would show him how you're meant to treat your brother. And he's been playing it through that and is utterly addicted to the whole thing. And it's wonderful because even a complete non-PC iterate person you sit them down with the my hot ass, <laughs> where you get to sort of you know, touch my hot ass with the Oculus on, and they just disappear into this world. They fly around staring at asteroids. Their breath is taken away. They instantly love it. So, I mean, the Oculus complements Elite Dangerous beyond anything that anyone could tell you. And Elite Dangerous complements the Oculus beyond anything that anyone else could tell you about the Oculus without them. So the two of them are a perfect marriage. I've got people that would never, you know, don't even have a computer that cannot resist spending another 10 minutes playing this game that they've got no interest in. Yeah. Because they're so blown away by the visuals. And, of course, you then obviously add the headphones and the audio just totally blows their mind and they just don't even know where they are they take that headset off after 10 20 minutes of play stand up and for the next 10 minutes they're just they can't talk about anything else apart from that was amazing yeah i think we're getting that grant um (laughs) (laughs) okay what about you mentioned today you mentioned the outpost so we've got two new big sort of structures going into this build we've got the outpost and we've got the ocellus starport 
Chris, what did you think of the outposts? Uh, I, I was really amazed, actually, because I wasn't expecting when I logged into the beta to find myself on an outpost. I assumed I'd be starting in the usual station. So when I kind of came up out of the hangar and suddenly found myself faced with a star field instead of this sort of cylindrical inside, the surprise was there. It was like, oh, you know, wow, I've been reset to a different location. And I did. I just had to kind of take off and fly around it for a bit just to kind of take this thing in. Actually, I found myself quite liking the outposts. And it's working against me because now I'm sort of trying to play the game a bit more. If I have the option between a starport and an outpost, I'll think, oh, I'll go to the outpost because I like those. But there's nothing there. There's no, no there <laughs> you know, there's no stock market. There's no shipyard. And I keep flying to them and remembering, oh, yeah, there's fuck all at the outpost. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. But, I mean, you know, they're really nice. And the other thing that's slightly disconcerting is... There was one I was I was playing earlier this evening. I was obviously on the side of the station that was behind the sun. So it was completely black against the star field and I was sort of approaching it. And it was a very atmospheric moment for me. And then I realised I'd sort of got near it and asked for landing permission. I had no idea where the landing pad was. And I had to fly round and round this thing looking for where the pad was. I did find it eventually. I was actually a slightly hairy landing because I sort of flew over it and then tried to roll, and was then landing upside down. Uh, but it worked out fine. I got, I got it down. Chris, you said that you thought that there was nothing on the outposts, but I found, I think I was in 14 Hercules, I went to the main starport, and it had a load of stuff. And then I went off to the outposts. It didn't have as much things, but it had a couple of really high-tech versions of the same kind of stuff. Yeah, okay, and then this is something that actually is bugging the hell out of me about the game at the moment. I've asked a few people on the forums and on the TeamSpeak channel whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, but the fact that items that you want to install on your ship are randomly located around the entire universe, is that a good thing in the fact that you have to go out and sort of search for them, or is it just a really annoying thing that it takes you like two hours to find the right scanner for your particular ship? Do you know what? I'm really old school with my gaming and I think that any game which causes me to either get a pen and paper out to make notes as I'm playing or have to draw a map or have to create some sort of Excel spreadsheet to keep track of things that I'm doing, I actually kind of like that. And I don't mean, we've talked about spreadsheets before, I don't mean in the way of like having to kind of min-max all your items and stuff. I just mean a game that encourages me to kind of just make notes of places and just kind of think, oh, I saw that there. I'll remember that system for when I need to go back. I mean, it's not so good for people who are, who have a kind of not looking back view of the game and will sort of fly in one direction rather than flying around the hub. But I think, you know, I think it's exciting. As, as long as it's consistent, as long as the locations of these objects being random isn't something where you'll log into the game a week later and actually the locations of these items will suddenly be completely different because that, that'll just be frustrating. But I quite like the idea that because of the, the limited availability of things in the universe, you sort of have to search around a bit. Is this a point where I can plug the Elite Dangerous Wikia where you can maybe make your notes and share them with everybody else? It is, but uh, we don't a, know at the moment whether or not that's actually going to bear any fruit because we don't know that those items are going to be the same for everybody regardless of what instance they're in or that they're actually going to be sort of duplicated across everybody's gameplay. The actual items won't, but for example... 14 Hercules is, for everybody, a really good place to go shopping, for example. 
that's not going to change until we get to beta 3 or maybe not even then, we don't know. I've been trying to make notes on the wiki page, basically, so that other people can use what I'm learning. Well, it might be an interesting thing to actually have a section on beta 2 and beta 3 and stuff like that and put the information in there and see if anything it tallies as we go through. What about the Ocellus starport? How many of those have people seen? I haven't seen one, sorry. Yeah, I've seen a couple, but they're really sort of way out on the fringes. They're gorgeous. They're really, really nice. I love the size of them, given the fact that we know that these things have just got massive engines plastered on the back and can be moved in and out of systems. I think that scale and knowing that that sort of size actually moves about makes the actual structure even more amazing to look at. But you don't see many of them. And, of course, on the inside, it just looks like all the other inside Star Wars. So they haven't done much with the inside of them. What about system maps? These are new. A throwback to the old Frontier days where you can actually go in, look at the system, and see whereabouts within the system the various starports, asteroid fields, and planets are. This was a nice addition to the beta. Personally, I'm waiting for the oral review of it because it's all very nice having these things, but... I don't actually use them very often. I'm still using just the drop-down list that we get to select whatever starport I want to go to rather than jumping into the system map and then finding it that way. I don't know what other guys are doing, though. I'm using it to kind of check for what kind of station it is I'm locking onto. Now that, <laughs> now that I've learned my lesson, that there's no point if I'm going on a trading run docking at an outpost, I'm using the, the kind of system view to work out which stations are big enough to support what I need to do. Okay, and the final thing, of course, to cover about Beta 2 is the fact that we have a new ship on board as well. I think the only person on the podcast that's actually going to have access to it is you, Chris, and that's the Asp Explorer. What's it like? I really like it. There's there's the slight uh, distressing thing that the inside of the cockpit doesn't look the way I described it in my story. Um, (laughs) But it's a nice... I mean, I haven't really managed to kind of get to grips with with what it can do and its capabilities, but it's a lovely kind of still maneuverable big ship and if i can just get my head around kind of how the whole cargo thing works and uh, and that sort of thing i'll, I'll really be putting it through its paces because it is yeah it is really nice and it's got a lovely view all around i mean if you see the asp from the outside you can see that it's got one of those kind of wraparound glass cockpits a bit like the tail gunner on an old world war ii bomber So if you've got like a head look mode or if you're using the Oculus Rift, if you kind of look up or look down, you're kind of seeing stars and things in all directions. For people who are wanting to explore, it is the ideal ship because you can look around and see everything. And there's some nice little details in there. There's the Lacon emblem sort of etched in the metalwork on the side of the cockpit, which is quite nice. You can look around and see that. But yeah, just it handles really well. I'm not totally sure about how good its acceleration and deceleration is. Compared to some of the other ships, in supercruise mode, it seems to take a long time to actually get up to any kind of reasonable speed. It might be a ship that takes people a little bit longer to get round in, maybe than some of the smaller stuff. But um, the jump range on it's great, though. Something like 10 or 11 light years fully laden or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say that is impressive. What's the cargo capacity on it? I don't know, because I was trying to figure it out. I confess, I don't understand this business about cargo racks, whether that's space that you have or whether that's something that you have installed so that you have cargo space. Yeah, the latter. Yeah, I I thought it probably was. Because I keep sort of taking on courier missions and then (laughs) flying to places that don't have a market, I haven't actually tried loading up with any cargo yet. So um, (laughs) No, fair enough. Okay, well, 
I think the rest of us will spend the next couple of weeks grinding and we'll probably just about get to an ASP before the Beta 3 arrives and they wipe us back down to a Sidewinder. But never mind. Anyway, well, that's it for the Beta 2 coverage at the moment. Obviously, we haven't really scratched the surface. We'll keep on covering it over the next couple of podcasts before Beta 3 drops. Just before we sign off, though, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the things that have popped up in the forum. First and foremost, we're going to talk about Mike Evans has had a little discussion about a scale within the game and also Sandy's talk about the changes to the proposed changes, we should say, to the flight model. So, Grant, why don't you start us off with the, the Mike Evans on scale? What are we going to call it? We're going to call it Scalegate? Yes, basically, some of the game players have come to a conclusion that the sense of scale of the ships to the station rings and the buildings within are out with the terms of reality, and therefore it is breaking their immersion, um, <laughs> which which is quite interesting because I hadn't noticed. But I do think that you know when you're flying around in your wee sidewinder, the rings are quite small because frankly you don't want to get that close to them because you're going to get smashed up if you do uh, and i know some people have made the videos where they've kind of fl- flown in close and they've shown the, the buildings and things i've never personally got that close so i can't really comment but to me if i was to think about the rings they're probably about a meter across and you know that's it however yes these questions were put in such a way that it did suggest that the developers had got the scale completely wrong, which, of course, Mike Evans felt duty-bound to reply and put the particular question to rest. And I think it only really became an issue when the original poster replied with, I don't believe you, (laughs) which really kind of put petrol on the fire. But give Mike his due, he came back with brilliant, fantastic demonstrative images to show that the sense of scale is correct and that the sidewinders are probably bigger than any of us really give them credit for being. Well, they're 18 metres wide, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they're bigger than a jumbo. Mm. So when I've got the Oculus on, you've got a much better sense of scale of the inside of the cockpit, which is quite big. But you don't ever get a view that gives you that concept of the exterior of the actual ships with the context of something that you can relate it to, like a double-decker bus or a building. And so you can understand how people can't quite see it. And I think this has been a very helpful um, thread in the in honesty to really show the level of detail that is in this game, the the sort of where they can keep it fun but realistic. They've gone for it, and they've gone for it in the biggest way. Any other game would have had these buildings as being some kind of flat image that purely just rotated for the effect. But no, they've gone to the details of thinking, how would that scale? If you're cutting out of your ship and walking around, that needs to make sense. It needs to be right. And they've put it in now, long before they need to. And I think they've just uh, taken this opportunity to really demonstrate that to the people that think it's not the case and that they are cutting corners. They clearly aren't. No, I think they're basically, obviously, they've got their eyes on the future expansions and things and walking around in stations and all of that jazz. So they really are making sure all the nuts and bolts and the foundation of the game is accurate as it possibly can be. So it was good to see those pictures from Mike Evans and see the actual sense of scale is completely correct. 
The other point that has just popped up in the forums is one of flight model changes. Uh, ben, I think you've been following this one. Take us through it. Right, well, since Beta 2 came around, a lot of people were upset that the flight assist off mode has been seriously nerfed. And people were crying about it all over the forums and things like that, as you do. And the developers have obviously picked up on this and they're wondering maybe we have overreacted a little bit. So after a post basically saying, okay, what things do you think this is? Is this right? Is this wrong? Where are you on this whole scale of things? Sandra's actually come up saying proposed tweaks to the Beta 2 flight model. Tweak one, flight assist off does not limit the speed regardless of the ship facing versus the direction of travel. However, you cannot increase your speed beyond the current engine pips. Tweak two, although when using flight assist off, if your ship exceeds the maximum that your engine pips would normally support, i.e. you have the accelerator to the maximum speed of four pips, turn flight assist off and then reduce yourself down to one pip. Rotational damping is reduced on all axes. And tweak three, flight assist on retains speed caps and blending for travelling in direction different to what you're facing. Uh, the caps will, however, be reduced from 60-40, which it currently is, to 80-60, which seems to have gone down fairly well on the forums. The winner at the moment is basically that they are beneficent in that they are addressing most of the issues that people seem to have and it would be seen as a worthy endeavour. Although I do think that Sandra's actually confused people using big words on the internet. <laughs> somebody a little bit later down was quite possibly if somebody who doesn't speak English as a native language was saying, well, I don't know what the hell he's on about. <laughs> uh, can you turn this into, I think this is good, bad or indifferent? Um, so, so one of the developers did come back and turn it into simple English for this guy. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Just quickly before we uh, sign off, I think we've got a couple of shout-outs. Jarvis, start with yours. Uh, Yes, so coming up in November, we have the uh, Fragland Land Party, uh, which is near Bedford. So this starts on the Friday, the 7th of November. uh, And for those who are super keen, goes all the way through to Sunday, the 9th of November. And this takes place in a village hall in a little village called Wooten, just outside Bedford. It's a real old school, you know, PC gaming LAN. They'll be playing lots of old school games for newcomers. It's costing, I think, £15 for the whole weekend. And for old Fragland guys, it's, uh, I think, £20 or something like that. And it's really good fun. They're a great crew. Harry, who runs the events, was at LaveCon and made himself something of a presence at the LaveCon LAN. And I think he got everyone there playing Quake 3 Rocket Arena, which is really the Fragland way. So it's just a really good LAN party. Hopefully, Fozzie, you and I are going to be there. And we might be able to do some podcasty goodness, which would be excellent. Always nice to have an outside broadcast. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's the, the 7th to the 9th of November. Thoroughly recommend it. If you want to find them, best place to do it is to go onto Facebook and do a search for Fragland UK. And that should come up with the group where the event is publicised and where you can talk to the guys there. Uh, it's basically a land where you take your own rig, but they have arrangements for tables and chairs. Great stuff. Obviously, you mentioned LaveCon 2014 there. We're starting nice and early this year, and uh, this is our first LaveCon 2015 announcement. Information has appeared on the laveradio.com website. We've got a venue. 
Uh, we've got a time. The times are Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th of July 2015, and it's going to be held at the Sedgebrook Hall Hotel in Northamptonshire. Tickets are now available, and in fact, we have sold probably around about 50 tickets already. There is accommodation at the venue, so if you want to book your accommodation and your tickets, you can now go to layradio.com, go to the LaveCon 2015 page, and you can get your tickets there. Okay, and finally, just one more shout-out, and that is for iTunes reviews. We've had some great iTunes reviews come in over the last couple of months, but they've seemed to have dried up. So if you're out there listening and you do enjoy the show, go across to iTunes and drop us a review. It's always good to hear your thoughts and comments. That's it for this show. So thank you very much to Grant, to Chris, to Ben, and to John. If you'd like to contact us, you can at info at laveradio.com on the email, at laveradio on Twitter, Facebook forward slash laveradio. If you'd like to call us on Skype, you can leave us a voicemail at lave.radio. On TeamSpeak, we are laveradio.teamspeak3.com. And if you'd like to join the Elite Dangerous Skype chat channel, just add Fozzer101 to your Skype contacts and I will drop you in. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you next time. Two seconds, I'll be right back.